You're listening to Dear Adult Daughter, a podcast for those who want to take care of themselves and the relationship they have with their mothers and or adult daughters. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I recorded an episode about the assumptions made about adult daughters who go no contact and what's more likely to be true. And today I'm answering a question from a mother whose adult daughters have estranged themselves from her. But before I get to that, I want to acknowledge that I do not see this as a matter of sides or mother versus adult daughter, and that there are mothers who do vulnerable soul searching work and still their adult daughters will not reestablish contact. And I'm going to speak to what's possible. Um, as I, as I continue with this podcast. Um, but I'm going to read the question that I received <clears throat> from a, mo- a mother and adult. She is a mother and an adult daughter. So here's her question. She says, both my daughters, both of my adult daughters have gone no contact. One struggles with mental illness and narcissistic personality disorder. The other is married with three children. I grew up in a hypercritical, shaming, and unnurturing family and have struggled for years with my own trauma. I tried going no contact. I tried having boundaries, but now I only see them on holidays. I don't want this for my daughters, and I did everything the opposite. I loved them and overindulged them, but that didn't work. I feel guilty and ashamed and like a huge failure because I didn't do enough to prevent it. I am no longer chasing a relationship with them, but hoping one day they'll change their minds. I'm very sad about it. I'm also sad about not being a grandma. What would help at this point? Dear mama, (laughs) I am guessing that by asking what would help at this point, you're asking what would help bring my daughters back to me. And That's not the question that I'm going to answer. I will share what I believe will help with the understanding that I can't know what's best for you and what's safe for you. Um, There may be something here for you and there may not. So what can you do? First, grieve and accept. And when I say grieve, I mean Give yourself permission to experience knee buckling, chest cracking, tear streaming sorrow. And that turn of phrase is from the wonderful Sophie Savage, who um, did a TEDx talk on loss. So Be a safe person for and with yourself during this grieving process, during the times when you're grieving. And this may mean asking for support with it. And I want to read a little bit more from what Sophie says about grief and sorrow in her TEDx talk. She says, that kind of sorrow does not feature in the grief cycle at all. Denial is not grief, it's denial, it's a refusal. Anger is not grief, it's anger. It insists that loss is not right, not fair, and should not have happened. Bargaining is not grief, it's bargaining. 
Depression is not grief. It's when anger and bargaining collapse with exhaustion. This is the resist grief with all your might cycle. And acceptance isn't the end, the closure. It's where we begin to let grief have its way with us. So a little bit more about what it means to accept. So it is accepting rather than resisting what is. Acceptance is my daughters are estranged from me right now and I feel sad. Resistance is my daughter shouldn't be estranged from me or I'm a bad person because they don't talk to me or they are bad daughters or there is something wrong with me and them or this shouldn't be happening. So grieve and accept. Grieve some more and accept some more. And then here's the second, I don't want to call these steps, but a second thing you can do is to question why you need it to work. What does it, what does working look like? What would it mean about you if it was working? Journal on these questions or have a friend, therapist, or some other trusted person listen without interrupting you as you tell them. And then go back to number one as needed. (laughs) Go back to the grief and acceptance work. And then when you're ready, here's a third thing you can do. Ask yourself why you want your daughters to change their minds. Now, this might seem like a no-brainer question to answer, but dig deep and get to the core of it. It might look like this. I want them to change their minds because I miss them. I want them to change their minds because when I miss them, I feel empty inside. I want them to change their minds because I don't like feeling empty inside. I want them to change their minds because if they're not in contact, that might mean there's something wrong with me and that I did something wrong. I want them to change their minds because I don't want other people to think that I was a bad mother. Keep going, (laughs) right? I want them to change their minds because and answer that over and over and over again. And then tend to the part of you that misses them, that feels empty inside that feels guilt, that is experiencing shame, and get support with that if you need it. As always, revisit the grief and and accepting portion of this advice. And then number four, unshame yourself. Underlying a desire to do everything the opposite of the way your mother did it might be the fear of being seen by others as a bad mother and the shame that would accompany that. So if you don't do it the opposite, how do you do it? How do you break the cycle and not hand this stuff to your daughters? By stepping out of the fear and shame-based paradigm of good, bad, right, wrong. I'm making a generalization here, but consider that our mothers were the way they were because they were operating from deeply embedded fear and shame and not love. This isn't because they were bad people doing bad things on purpose, but because of their own trauma and shame, they were often unsafe people, unsafe 
for themselves and unsafe with others. Of course, it wasn't their intention, but we don't experience their intentions. And we didn't experience their intentions. When we were children, we experienced their nervous systems. And this this concept, I love this concept. It comes from um, someone that I follow on Instagram. Her name is Allie Wise, and she is a trauma expert. And she says that love as an intention when not embodied can become fear. And this is what the child experiences. So unshaming is noticing when you're criticizing, dismissing, judging, fixing, correcting, controlling, shooting, denying, gaslighting, blaming, and condemning yourself, or when you have contempt and disdain and disgust for yourself, right? Those, those are shame-based ideas, concepts, uh, traits, values, or they're not values. Um, but that's the, those, that's those, when you notice those things happening, that's shame. So unshaming is noticing when that is happening. And in those moments, place your hands over your heart and ask to be shown the truth about yourself, no matter how beautiful it is. And I have to give credit to that to someone named Macrina Whitaker. I don't know much about her, but when I heard that quote that we ask to be shown the truth about ourselves, no matter how, no matter how beautiful it is, I was like, I can't keep this to myself. This has to be shared. So noticing when we're shaming ourselves, noticing when we're doing all that criticizing and dismissing and judging and shooting and denying and condemning uh, and blaming, right? We want to remind ourselves that the truth is beautiful and we want to engage in wonder and listening and humanizing and exploring and welcoming and freeing and accepting and believing and validating and having compassion. And then going back to the grief and the acceptance as needed. Number five, you want to cultivate and tend to your authenticity and aliveness. Who are you when you're in the zone of you? When you are in the vortex of your elemental power, when you're allowing yourself to move towards what fascinates you and to move away from what doesn't, and how do you protect this aliveness? Journal on those questions, or as I said before, have a friend, therapist, or some other trusted person listen without interrupting you as you tell them that, as you tell them what makes you come alive. I'll tell you one thing, my cat meowing when I try to record podcasts is not very alive for me. <laughs> okay, so the last piece of this is to understand what the real problem is. So despite thousands of years of a conditioning and socialization to the contrary, a woman's purpose isn't only to take care of others. Her contentment isn't only dependent on what her adult children do or don't do. And what makes her authentic and live isn't ever defined by someone else. And I know you know this. Because the problem isn't your daughter's or you or your mother or her mother. The problem isn't even estrangement. The problem 
is an oppressive system that women and other oppressed groups had no role in creating and which robs us of our authenticity and aliveness. And over those thousands of years, we have internalized the impression, the oppression. We have taken on the methods and the messages of the dominating oppressive system, and we have used it against ourselves. We have used it against each other, and we have used it against our daughters. Not because we're terrible people, but because we couldn't see it for what it was. We thought it was just the way things are. This is where estrangement can be the medicine. Even if reestablishing contact isn't guaranteed or likely, there is so much that can be done, if not for you and your daughters, but for the macro, for dismantling the system that created the problem in the first place. And the best way that I know to do that is to start inside of you with the steps that I have outlined here. This is what it looks like to do your part in breaking the cycle and making the future a healthier place for your daughters, whether they know it or not, and whether they speak to you or not. Much, much love, Karen.